0: Welcome to the IMPACT Masters Commission Bible Study Podcast. Join us as we study the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to have some deep, thoughtful, and hopefully helpful discussions to try and discover together what it means to be the followers of Jesus. in Romans chapter 1. And there's this whole diatribe that he goes on from 18, verse 18 all the way to 32. And this scholar is saying that that whole section of text is the apostle Paul quoting someone else's argument. Because then he comes in in chapter 2 and seems to say almost exactly the opposite. In fact, in, ver- in chapter 2 verse 1 he says, Therefore, you have no, no excuse, those of you who judge." Well, and, and if you read the, the, the way that that argument reads, when you get there to chapter two, you're like, what, who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to this person that he had just been impersonating in the, in the previous 20-some verses. Now, the, the, big, the big thing for this particular scholar is, that um, all throughout the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is talking to first like Christians and then Jews that have given their life to Jesus, like bouncing back and forth and having conversations with both sides. And if that first section is him talking to the Jews, it really changes a lot of the way we have to interpret the way he talks to the Jews later. Does that make sense? It's also, and I'll say this, it's a very, um, it's probably that portion of scripture, which this, uh, this uh, guy has, was not even talking about this, but that portion of scripture is one of the strongest portions of scripture against um, uh, LGBTQ people. The portion that this guy is saying wasn't actually Paul. It's one of them, yeah. It's definitely one of the strongest. It's um, now there's several others. It's I mean, but it's the one that is the hardest to. And this guy wasn't even talking about the LGBTQ issue. He wasn't even mentioning it, but that portion of scripture is very strong in an argument against any, you know, those that would say you can be a practicing homosexual and still follow Christ. So I am not saying anything. I'm just saying that, that this scholar is, and he's not the only one. There's multiple people that are saying this, but he was the one speaking on this particular podcast. If what he's saying is true, um, it's a big deal. There's a whole lot in there. In, in Romans 1, 18 through 31, there's a lot. So if he's saying, and not just that, but there's a lot, there's a lot in there. Uh, there's a lot of theological Things I have never ever I've taught Romans I don't know how many times I've never I've always assumed that was the Apostle Paul, and uh, a lot of these folks they, well these scholars are saying maybe it wasn't, and that's an interesting thing to think about. All right, so.
1: Pastor Josh. Yes. I've heard, I heard you met my
0: pa- my I got, got to meet I got to meet your dad too because he oh, he friend. wasn't in my class but he came in. To say hi to me, yeah. so that was really fun getting to meet them, and uh, and um, teaching that class, and, and I love teaching that class. The class is a blast for me. Yeah. I I teach. Are you guys familiar with ISOM, the Indiana School of Ministry? Okay, um, it is an awesome, awesome uh, thing where if if you don't want to get a college degree, uh. uh in Bible or church ministry or whatever, but you do want to get licensed or ordained to be an assembly of God minister. You can go through ISOM and get really great training and and um, and learning and whatever, and and make it through so that you're you can go all the way to ordained that way. It's a very good and I have for the last at least four years. I'm not sure, maybe five been teaching the eschatology class the end times class for that uh, for that school of isom and uh, ross's mom was in my class (laughs) sitting front and center in my class on on saturday which was really fun we had a good time we we ran out of time actually i had to yeah so is everybody okay All right, well, let's pray. Wow, Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness to us, for the beautiful sunshine this morning, Lord, for your presence that is already filled. You, you, You are here. You fill all things. You are all in all. And Lord, we... We ask that you would open our hearts this morning to hear your voice, to see your face. Your promise to us in the New Testament, Jesus, is that we would hear you. That we would know your voice. Your sheep know your voice, you said. But you also promised that we would see your face. That we would see you. That the world wouldn't see you, but that we would see you. So Jesus, I'm asking for a fresh vision of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. All right. Well, I know we got... I'm trying to think where we went last time. Does anybody remember? Did we talk about not judging last week, or was that two two times ago? Galatians five. What? But
1: he huh? said he said something about the fruit
0: of the spirit is love and then Yes. 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 Yeah. Well I I am cert I'm certain we have talked about that. I don't remember we talked about fasting last week. Oh yeah, that's right. We didn't. I know we didn't. Um You finished, it really fast. you finished Matthew six. Wow. Okay. Well Matthew then seven. Matthew seven it is. Okay, so yeah, we talked about not worrying. That was last week, right? Um but I, I thought we had taught we had we never got to do not judge so that you will not be judged. Did we never get there? Ooh. Ooh. Oh, well, here we go then. All right, so we'll read, we'll read seven Matthew 7, uh, 1 through 5. I'm reading in the, uh, in the New American Standard. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces i don't know if that belongs or not but there we go okay so what does it mean do not judge does it mean we shouldn't is it just straightforward like that just never judge no what does it mean then i'm asking go you said no so so i'm assuming you have some idea what it actually means
1: Whether or not to like, hey, with this like, like hanging out with this person, would that be wise? Would it not be wise? And, Absolutely. And in a way, you kind of are judging that person, but from like a different aspect of <coughs> what people normally think of what
0: judgment is. Right. Absolutely. Yes.
1: So I think in some cases, like like that, I feel like that's okay, but if you just like look at somebody and like, oh, she instantly like a bully or something, like that's not right.
0: Yeah. The, the implication here is that Jesus is not, there's, there's multiple places where Jesus uses what's called hyperbole. Are you familiar with hyperbole? Okay. Just when it's written out, it just looks like it's written, it's pronounced hyperbole, but it's pronounced hyperbole. Okay. And that is where Jesus will say things like, and you remember the time when Jesus was in the house and his mother and his brothers come and they're like, Hey, your mom and your brothers are outside. And Jesus is like, who are my mother? Who's my mother? Who are my brothers? My mother and my brother, the ones that do the, the, the work, the work of God. And then he tells them, I tell you, if you do not hate your mother and your, your father, and you know what? And and we can read that and be like, yay, all teenagers everywhere. We're like, yay, I get to hate my parents. Jesus told me to, so leave me alone, right? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, does it? Jesus also in the same breath says, honor your father and mother. So like, help me understand that. So it's because Jesus is using comparison and hyperbole comparison. So when he says, do not judge," Do not judge. We have, to, we have to finish it up with, for, in the way, for this is why you do not judge. In the way you judge, you will be judged. Mm-hmm. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So if you're walking around all highfalutin like I'm the most awesome person ever, and you're judging other people, and then people see you do the same thing that that person did, uh-oh, Jesus is bringing us to a very clear understanding, and that is this, is that we all have double standards when it comes to ourselves. We all forgive ourselves extremely easily, but we hold everybody else to some crazy, ridiculous standard, okay? And it is the truth that you are the most angered by the sin that you are most troubled by, okay? So the sin that you, uh, the sin that that is in your life that you struggle with the most, when you see it outside of yourself, you are extra judgmental on that. That's just how we are built. Does this make sense? Does everybody following me here? That it, It's real, okay? It's real. And, um, you know, when you see when you see somebody that's just furious over like just one sin just gets them their goat, like, oh I hate that. When people do that. Well, yeah, they probably they probably do that themselves. And when it's exposed somewhere else, they begin to feel guilty and exposed and vulnerable and so they respond with, you know, power against it. Fire against it. And Jesus is saying, guys, you all have double standards. Every single one of you, you've all got these gigantic logs sticking out of your eye, and, but you're walking around looking for specks in everyone else's. Jesus is like, turn that inward. Spend time talking about you, about your tribe, about your people before you start criticizing other people whose experience you cannot fully understand. Does that make sense? Which is why I have had people say to me on Facebook, you are really mean to Christians on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yep. Because <laughs> it's me. Mm-hmm. And everything I'm saying to any, uh, any Christian on Facebook, I'm saying as much to me as to anybody else. Because we need to be turning that critical site inward and asking ourselves, where are we not lining up? What are we not doing? And I've done that in this class as well. I've been highly critical of Christians and churches and, and, and why? Because we need to, we need to take this seriously. And I am much less critical, especially of people that do not claim to be followers of Christ. Why would I expect a person who does not love Jesus and makes no attempt to to make me believe that they love Jesus, why would I expect them to act like Jesus at all? Why would I expect them to have any sense of morality or justice or or good judgment? They won't because they don't have the rock to build their house on. But I do. I should be held to a higher standard than those who are not followers of Christ. So there's a couple pieces here. Okay. The first one is before you judge anybody else, make sure that you are look, turning that critical eye inward. Okay. Uh, but second I would say is, is this idea that, Hey, we, you know, we need to be that we need to be careful that we're not blind to our own double standards. This happens all the time. Um, you know, with with uh, my, my my wife and I, we do this all the time. OK, uh, and it makes me laugh sometimes, OK, because she'll be like angry and yelling at one of our kids and I'll be like, hey, so relax, babe gonna be okay but then 10 minutes later I'm angry and yelling at one of our kids <laughs> right <laughs> and it's because I have done no, yeah but my reason is more valid than their reason than her reason for yelling at the kids that's not true by the way that's just what's going on in my brain and giving our Jesus is giving us the grace of saying can you take yourself out of yourself and watch your own behavior for just a minute. Will you do that for me before you start talking to everybody else about how messed up they are? Will you take a good long look at you? We all need to do that. And we all need to invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to us all the places where we are not lined up. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings and and who brings things to the surface and begins to ask us the hard questions. He's always the one for me. The Holy Spirit is always the one who right when I'm feeling the most self righteous, he comes in and says, Oh yeah. How are you doing with that? Oh. That's why I, re- I regularly call the Holy Spirit a jerk because he's incredibly kind, but he's also incredibly truthful. And it's like, how dare you point out the log in my eye? We're not talking about my eye, we're talking about his eye. <laughs> yep. Any thoughts?
1: Yeah. Sometimes, like, you call like, the, uh, call, like, the Holy Spirit a jerk or something. Yeah, I cause. do that sometimes. Yeah, because uh, he, like, tells the truth. But I think so, sometimes, yeah. like, I don't know, they're just saying, like, like the truth hurts. Yeah. But, I mean, it's something
0: that you get to work on. And then, you, know, call you out <laughs> on it. I'm talking. not. I don't honestly mean he's a yeah, jerk. You know. I just, you know, that's just my way of saying, oh, that really hurt. And I've called him worse than a jerk, I gotta be honest with you. Jesus and I are honest with each other. (laughs) He already knows what's going on in here, so I might as well not lie, you know? I might as well just say what I'm gonna say.
1: judgment on that one. And yeah. I've said that out loud in conversations. I've just been like, uh, yeah, I think I should check my judgment for a second because I probably do the same thing or like they could probably say the same type of things about me and it's just really funny because that really does happen.
0: Yeah, it happens to like, us all the time. Oh. We always, I honestly believe that the, the, the true mark of maturity is owning the fact that I have huge double standards when it comes to myself. <laughs> Okay, it doesn't, and, and hopefully that means we're going to move out of those, or when we recognize them, we're going to try and move out of them. Um, uh, but uh, anybody that is not capable of admitting, and of, of admitting that they get it wrong, that they get things wrong, if they're not capable of admitting that they might be mistaken, that they too get things wrong, I won't listen to them. Because <laughs> if you're so, if you're that blind to, to your own reality, now some people will say, and this is my favorite, because as soon as you say that, then people will be like, oh, I know I'm not perfect. I get things wrong, believe me. But that doesn't, they haven't actually wondered whether or not the very foundation stones of the things they built their life on might be wrong. And I want that for all of you. <laughs> I, I want doubt for all of you. Uh, <clears throat> that's terrible, but I do. I, I, um, I don't trust a thought process that hasn't been tested. This is one of the conversations we had in my class on Saturday. Was, was, man, if if I have an idea in my head and I it hasn't been subjected to some to scrutiny. Um, what uh, when I, when I'm coming to an idea, when I, when I am trying to decide, how do I feel like, what is my position on this issue? Okay. This Bible interpretation, this, whatever I, uh, whatever it may be. Let's, let's say, uh, let's say, let's do something, uh, not controversial. Um, what do you have one in mind?
1: No, I was or whatever,
0: and uh, a lot of people like it mixed up the Jeremiah verse.
1: Yeah, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. 11. Yeah. Yes. That, that's the one I thought of. Like.
0: Sure. We can go there. Let's do that. Oh, okay. okay. So when, when, when somebody whispered to me, hey, maybe your interpretation of that verse isn't quite correct. And maybe you should go read it again. Maybe you should consider the context. Maybe you should consider and actually exegete the verse before you write it in a card that you're giving to a high school graduate, right? Okay. Um, uh, And I actually ruined this verse for everybody in my ISM class on Saturday. (laughs) It's one of my favorite things to do, is ruin verses for people. Um, uh, When you look at the original context of that verse, there's a very specific time-sensitive nature to it, okay? God is talking to the Israelites who are in exile. Okay. They are in Babylon at this particular time. And this is at the end of that time, the end of a period of judgment where they have been walking through the punishment of God for their unbelief. And God is now inviting them to repent and return. That's when he says, he says, I'm inviting you to repent and return to me because I know the plans I have for you, and that you is specific, that you is not universal. Nobody in this room gets to put their name in there. You don't get to put your name. I know the plans I have for Josh. That's that you is specific. It is the is it is about the people of Israel who are in exile. And he has planned for them to give them a hope and a future. To, you know, okay. So we don't get to write that verse places and say that's about us. And it's on the wall of my church, but I actually covered it up with a screen.
1: <laughs> what, did everyone, what did they all say to that? Like,
0: well, did I... they didn't, I didn't cover it up and tell them, this is why I'm covering it up. I just covered it because I needed to put a screen there.
1: No, I'm talking about like in the oh, class uh, Saturday. like what did everyone I we didn't
0: have a long conversation about it. We no. just we just I just I just kind of hinted that that's probably not uh, the, the okay. <clears throat> um, now how do there is we do need to look at that verse because there is the time-sensitive and very specific promise that God made to the people of Israel in that moment. And then there is the revelation of the God who makes that kind of a promise. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the, the, God, the kind of God that makes that kind of promise to his people is the kind of God that will make similar promises to his people today. Okay, so there is a way that we can look at that verse and take comfort from it. This is who our God is. Our God is the kind of God that makes plans for his children. Our God is the kind of God that invites us into a place of repentance and returning. And, the, and that there is reward and blessing in that. And we can receive that. And if I was going to preach Jeremiah 29, 11, that's what I would preach. But I would not have them all put, okay, just put your name in there. And I've actually heard preachers do this. Just put your name in there. I know the plans I have for Josh. The plan to give him a hope and a future, and it's like, no, 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 you, no, you don't get to do that, because how many people have said that and then walked out the door and got hit by a car? <laughs> I'm serious, okay? Let's be honest. I mean, I, I'm just saying. Uh, <clears throat> I wish it was funny. I mean, I, I know I, I was trying to be funny, but but at the same time, it's real, and and yeah.
1: Like you were saying, in the right context, like, this is true about God. Yes. He thinks about his children. Absolutely. So... Like, I guess I just don't get why it's so bad. It's, like Jeremiah 11. it's true. And it it's is fun. About
0: but I think people take it to an extreme. And there have been people that have taken verses like this one. And when bad things come along, they're like, you said that you had a hope and a future for me. And now I'm dying of cancer and you're not healing me. And you said that blah, 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 blah. And so now I don't believe in God anymore. And it's all because of a wrong interpretation of that scripture. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to guard from. We can look at that scripture and see that this is, and see what it reveals to us about God. And that's beautiful, right? But that doesn't mean nothing bad is ever going to happen. It doesn't mean that every person that graduates from high school and gets that in a card is going to, can, can look forward to a beautiful, a beautiful, uh, perfect future without any problems in it. Okay. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that that verse isn't important or that it doesn't mean that God's good or whatever. What I'm saying is we can't be that direct with it. We can't take that those words and put them on our life and say that that's how the, the Word of God works. It's not. There are words we can take and put directly on our lives, but not those. And the difference is the context and who it was written to originally, etc. Now, as I began to... Did you have a question or a thought? Oh, just about
1: another verse.
0: So Go. Yeah, no. Oh. Um, one of my favorite verses is
1: Exodus fourteen, fourteen. It says the Lord will fight for you, you only need to be still. And it's Moses is telling that to the Israelites because mm-hmm. they just, you know, escape from Pharaoh and stuff. And I don't know could that be
0: taken I Absolutely. Yes it absolutely could. But what is it telling you about God? Not what is it telling you about this particular fight that you're in? Because there are some fights where the Lord is inviting you to fight with him, and there're some fights where the Lord's saying, sit be still. Yeah. Be still and know that I am God, okay? And the question is, what does this tell me about God? That he is a God that fights for his people? Absolutely it's telling me. So no matter what situation I'm in, God is at least in this fight with me. Does that make sense? And I am much safer putting my hope and my trust in God when uh, and, and not attempting to fight this fight on my own and not attempting to win this fight without his help. You know, it reminds me of the verse later in the New Testament where it says, after you've done everything to stand, now stand. Okay, well, uh, where they were at in that point in time is the Lord is calling them to just watch what God's about to do. Well, that was a specific prophetic word for that specific moment. So how much do we take and how much do we leave? Because we, we, what we take is what it says to us about who God is. What we don't take is direct uh, uh, instructions about a specific moment, unless, okay, and this is a whole nother situation, If the Holy Spirit is bringing that verse to your mind, say you've been asking for direction of what do I do in this situation, and the Holy Spirit brings that verse to your mind, and you recognize the prompting of the Spirit, and you say, I need to be still. That's a whole different thing. Does that make sense? But just taking that verse and just applying it willy nilly is not a great idea. Do you see the nuance? And that's, that's why I, I'm gonna say the word nuance over and over and over and over again in this class because it's required, friends. It's required, nuance is required. And what nuance means is there are fine little details that we cannot ignore. The little details are deeply important. Now, I have a big log in my eye about this because I love to do that with verses. I do, but I, and I shouldn't. And, and I have had so many times where the Holy Spirit would be like, ah, 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 um, You're missing the nuance here. I'm like, dang it, you jerk. <laughs> you know that whole thing about Jeremiah 29 11 that you always yell at people about? Yeah, you're doing it. It's like, ah, poop. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So, when it comes to me, any interpretation of any verse, especially big theological ideas, I am going to go and find people that are students of Scripture, lovers of Jesus, and disagree with me completely about how that verse should be interpreted. And I'm going to listen really well to their argument. Okay, because I might be wrong. Can we all just raise our right hands right now? We're gonna make a statement together. I I the, statement. the statement is, you don't have to repeat, you can just put your hand up, okay? And, and you don't have to repeat the statement if you don't like it, okay? No, I appreciate that, I do. But you don't have to agree with, you don't have to say the statement if you don't want to, but the statement that I said, the statement I want to encourage you all to make is, I recognize that I may be wrong about almost everything that I think is true. I recognize
1: that I may be wrong about everything
0: that I think is true. If if, if, If you're willing, I want you to just make that statement right now. I recognize that I may be wrong about almost everything I think is true. Just go ahead. About almost
1: everything? Almost everything
0: uh what well, i know that is facts i <laughs> can't be wrong about facts. You know? uh, 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 cuz i have facts and you have facts but interpret no i mean like but-
1: those aren't facts though if you have facts that are different from my facts those aren't
0: facts but even the fa- even the things that you might think are facts may not be facts <laughs> what do you mean they how established fact for reasons well, like, huh? I- well established by whom and by what process like, hey this is fact you can put your hand down and let's. The whole. Air more things than it used to be. Absolutely. More studies show up and say, oh, there's actually more nitrogen in the air than we thought originally. So facts, facts. Science. Facts. All right, let me say it again. The whole. What, it, go <laughs> ahead. Uh, what was that? I recognize. I recognize. The, the, that I may be wrong but about almost everything, about everything I believe or something like
1: about that. About everything that I think
0: is facts. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The only reason, the only reason that I, the only reason that I wanted you to do that is because it's good to start there. It is good to start there. Okay. It is good to start with humility about my perception of the world my understanding of reality. It is a good thing. And so when I have ideas that I really believe in, that I really love, like for instance, this, okay, what that scholar said about Romans one, 18 through 31. Okay. That is, do you know how many times I've taught that passage? And if what he says is true, I have been teaching from something that Paul was purposely refuting. For years, yeah. Wait. So, is like so? The podcast that you
1: listen, is it like? Is and it, I don't like, know I if it's like, true or not. I think I it's. I would a, say, is that true that like, with the whole like thing that it could be like it was, who's representing a different person?
0: I don't know. I don't know.
1: Is that when you were, like explaining that I was again in the class and it class, was very
0: confusing? Okay, so Romans chapter one. Well, let's take a different verse where it's more clear. Okay, can we do that? Let's go there. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. Okay, oh, not First Chronicles, First Corinthians, Josh. You ever do that, go to Chronicles instead of Corinthians? Or Corinthians instead of Chronicles? First Corinthians 14. Okay. All right, and we're going to go to... I wasn't, yeah, 14. Okay, verse 20. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, and I'm going to read this to you, and I want you to tell me if it makes any sense. Okay. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together, and all speak in tongues, and outsiders unbelievers enter, Will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. So falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Okay. In the first two verses, he makes the statement that tongues are a sign for unbelievers. And that prophecy is a sign for believers. Okay, he says that. Okay, that is he says it specifically in verse 22. But then, in verse 23 and 24, he describes a situation where someone from outside the church, an unbeliever, comes into the church, and experiences the whole church speaking in tongues, and then says, "Y'all are crazy. I'm leaving." But if he comes into, if that same unbeliever comes into a church and everyone's operating in the gift of prophecy, he's going to fall on his face and say, God is truly among you. Now, that, that he just said two verses ago, the opposite. So what do we do with that? Well, this scholar is saying, what you don't recognize is that this argument, starting with, in the law it is written, verse 21, is something that the Corinthians, the church at Corinth, had said to Paul, that they had quoted this scripture, okay, by the people of strange tongues, blah, 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 and then made this assertion, thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. And prophecy is a sign not for, not for unbelievers, but for believers. That, that, is, that is an assertion that the Corinthian church made. But then the Apostle Paul in the very next verse is refuting their statement saying, Are you kidding me? Bring an unbeliever into a church full of people speaking tongues and you tell me what they say. Is it a sign to them? No, they're going to they're gonna say, y'all are crazy. But if they come in and people are operating in the gift of prophecy, they're all going to be amazed and say, God is really among you. Therefore, stop speaking in tongues all the time and start prophesying more often. That's Paul's point. Now, would Paul make a point that is the, and actually say specifically, something the opposite of what he was later on going to say? No, he wouldn't, because Paul was not a stupid person. And Paul did not have schizophrenia. Okay, this wasn't Paul of multiple personalities. Okay, that's not what's going on. What's going on is that Paul was doing what we all do. Paul was doing what we all do all the time, where we make we we'll make an assumption. Oh the you know uh, uh oh the corona the corona vaccine has particles in it that Bill Gates is gonna track us. Okay.
1: All, the, all those Christians. Up. There are so many Christians that have told okay. me that. That like, "Oh, there's going to be a chip in this vaccine." I'm like, "Absolutely." Oh, you know how st- I said in my head, "You right. know how stupid you sound right now." So, <laughs> in normal
0: conversation, in normal conversation, I would I would do that, and I would change my voice like that. I would say, "Oh, there's a chip in the coronavirus vaccine," and then I would say, "Are you stupid?" Right? That's the next thing I would say. Right? Okay. So, and you would know instantly that I was not stating that first sentence as a fact, even though it's even though it was an imperative sentence, right? So like, even though it was, I was making this declaration. Yes.
1: So can you read this that way?
0: Yes. Okay. So. He says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. For in the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to these people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are obviously a sign for believers and not for unbelievers, while prophecies is a sign for unbelievers, but for believers. Are you stupid? If therefore, <laughs> but that's what he says. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. He's saying, don't be idiots, please. Don't quote this Old Testament verse at me and tell me that that's what it means when it, clearly that's not how things work. That's some good stuff, man. Okay, that's what Paul's trying to do there. And the, this scholar was saying Paul does that multiple places throughout Scripture and we need to be watching for places. In 1. This scholar was saying he does it in Romans 1, 18 through 31, which, whoof, if that's the case, shall I read Romans 1, 18 through 21 for you? Yes. Okay, cuz it is I'm assuming
1: it's a lot less clear than first. It
0: is a lot less clear yeah. unless you have it in your head when you start reading it and then you realize Okay, Romans 18. Okay, so he says, I will read I will read 16 and 17, which is Paul. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is Romans 1. I'm going to read 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Oh, but for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations from those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves due penalty for their error, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what they ought what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. And then he says, "Okay, the very next, the very next verse is therefore you have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges." What? I'm so confused. I know. There's a, that's what I'm saying. This is this, Nobody has. Or, very few people have ever made this argument before that that portion of scripture was being quoted in that way. So,
1: is that all in your accent?
0: Yeah, everything I just read except for the first two verses. But see, I want you to see the difference between six, the reason I read those first two verses and the rest of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then imagine him saying, no, it's the wrath of God that's revealed. You see, the first section, he says, the righteousness of God is revealed. And it's all about saving the sinner. But the next line, no, the wrath of God is revealed because look how evil these people are and begins to lay up accusation after accusation, judgment after judgment, thing after thing until he gets to chapter two where he says, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you who the judge practice the very same thing. Do you see the change in tone? I'm not saying that that is the correct way to interpret this. In fact, I would say most Bible scholars would completely disagree with this young man who was was saying that. Uh, What I am saying is, just because it's never entered into my head that that's how this should be interpreted, does not mean that it's not. And I need to wrestle with it, and I need to pray it through, and I need to think it through, and I need to read scholars that are smarter than me and who understand the Greek language better than me, and I need to get a grip on how I feel about how this verse should be interpreted. So I am not telling you that that's what happened. I'm telling you there are other places in Scripture where it is very clear that that's what happened. This may or may not be one of them. Does that make sense? And that's why Bible scholarship is so difficult. Are you with me? So judge not lest you be judged. Why? Because you are probably wrong about a lot of the things that you think are true. Let's just begin there. And the thing is, so often, and this is something I run into all the time, and it's really, really, the reason I wanted you to make that declaration, as depressing as it is, and it is depressing. is because if we start there, then we can have an honest conversation and you feel a lot less threatened. Because what happens, especially in Facebook conversations, et cetera, is when I start questioning your assumptions about the world, a lot of people have a fight or flight response immediately. Immediately they get triggered because when our assumptions about the world become threatened, where do we put our feet? Where do we stand? That's a scary thing. It's frightening, but what about, but what about? But maybe, and if I'm wrong about this, maybe I'm wrong about, (gasps) maybe I'm wrong about that. Okay. But here's what, no, of course we don't like to be wrong. Who likes to be wrong? You're absolutely right. Human beings hate being wrong. I hate being wrong. But I think finding out that we're wrong is really good for us. Now, I do wanna say something though, okay? And this is really important. Just because the, just because one or two things that I think are true, I may find out at some point they were not true, does not mean that nothing is true. Because that's the other end to which we run. When we find out that it's entirely possible that some of the things we thought were true are not true. We tend to run to this other extreme. We do the pendulum swing and we go to the other extreme and say, well, then nothing is true. I can't trust anything. It's all false. And we go into this place of despair. I would rather, (laughs) I'd rather plant my feet firmly on Jesus and say, even Jesus, even when I don't know what is true, you do. And so I am trusting in you that at the end of the day, you are big enough and good enough and loving enough to save me from all of the stuff I got wrong. And that you'll pat me on the head and say, You're so cute. And it's really okay that you got that wrong. Let me help you see what's really true. That at the end of the day, when I'm face to face with Jesus, that he'll say, You tried. Good job. Does that make sense? I'm putting my trust in Jesus and that is a relational trust. That's not a that's not a a matter of fact or fiction. That's not a matter of that's just I am choosing to trust in this one called Jesus. He's my hope, my all of my hope. And even if everything I understand about the world is completely wrong, I'm on his bandwagon and he's gonna take care of me one way or the other, he's my solid ground. Even when a lot of the things that I thought about him, I find out were wrong. Years ago, uh, there's a sermon that I wish I could find it, I can't find it, I know it was by Brian Zond, he's one of my favorite guys. Um, But it was called a sermon called Losing Jesus. Okay, and it, t- it tells the story of Mary, mother of Jesus, right? And they go to Jerusalem. They go to Jerusalem on for Jesus' bar mitzvah. You know what I'm talking about? Thirteen. He's thirteen years old. Yeah, it was he's Jesus' bar then, mitzvah. He's a man one day, and then next day he's a middle schooler. Yeah. Well, yeah, but he's he was. Uh, so they go, to Jesus, they go to Jerusalem for Jesus' bar mitzvah, right? And they are there for the Passover. And on their way, they're all on their way home. They, all, they traveled as a family group. And you know how it is when the whole family is going somewhere, like kids swap cars and, you know, whatever. And they get, all the, they get, they get a couple days' walk away from Jerusalem before they realize, where's Jesus? Well, I thought he was with you. You know how many times I got left at the church because my parents drove, drove separate, and so they would get home and be like, "Where's Josh?" Well, I thought he was with you, and I thought he was with you. Oops! I'd be sitting at the church crying because I didn't. My my parents were not. (laughs) That happened. I don't know how many times it happened a bunch. (laughs) Uh, That's why cell phones are so helpful. We didn't have texting and cell phones and all that nowadays. Because back, you know, now my my yeah, my, you know, they could just text each other you have josh or whatever and then that wouldn't be an issue but any but anyway my parents were not negligent i would purposefully hide for them after church Why? uh because i was hanging out with my friends and i didn't i didn't really want to go home you know we used to play this game to see how close we could get to our parents without them noticing us <laughs> anyway that was my like every sunday game with my friends but um uh that, so that happens to Jesus, right? Mary and Joseph are like, what? So they go back to Jerusalem because they're freaking out now. Because it was Home Alone before Home Alone ever came out. You need know? to see Jesus, like, ah, right. <laughs> and they go back and, and they find Jesus in the temple and he's talking to all these scholars, right? And they're like, well, <laughs> what were you doing? And Jesus just looks at him, and I love that Jesus doesn't apologize. Jesus wasn't worried, and Jesus doesn't apologize. He's, he's not like, sorry, Mom. No, no. He looks at him and just says, why didn't you know I was going to be about my father's business? Right? And in that moment, Mary had to look at Jesus with fresh eyes. Because she had lost Jesus, and when she found him again, he was radically different than she had thought he was. Because she just thought of him as her son, her little boy. But then she finds him instructing the scholars in the temple. And she had to think about him differently than she had before. Had Jesus changed? No. No, Jesus hadn't changed. Jesus was still Jesus. The person that had changed was Mary. She had allowed old ideas about Jesus to solidify and define him in a way that didn't make sense. And then that happens. And when she gets face to face with the truth of who Jesus is again, she has to have Jesus redefined for her. But not because Jesus changed, but because Mary forgot.
1: Kind of like our perspective on like who god is as like a absolutely so
0: from like what we could do now or even like in the future absolutely but see that wasn't the only time that Mary had to do that is it because later on during Jesus' ministry i told you the story a minute ago mary and the brother mary and jesus brothers show up expecting an audience with jesus and jesus is like i'm busy doing the things that God sent me to do. And so yet again they're confronted rather abruptly with a Jesus they didn't expect. Now, was Jesus some was Jesus different? No, Jesus wasn't different. Jesus was exactly who he had always been, but Mary and the brothers had come to think of Jesus in an incorrect way. And now they're being they're being getting face to face with a Jesus they never knew and they never expected and realizing that it's their own fault. But that wasn't the last time either. Because then a couple years later, Jesus is hanging on the cross and Mary is standing at the foot of the cross and Jesus looks at her and says, behold, your son. And once again, Mary had to think of Jesus in a way that she had never thought of him before. Does that make sense? And as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we are all going to have moments like that. Exactly what you were saying, where, where we're going to go along with one idea of who Jesus is for a long time, and then we're going to figure out that, uh-oh, where's Jesus? I lost him. I, what happened to Jesus? Where'd he go? And then we're going to run into a Jesus that we don't recognize, a Jesus we didn't expect, a Jesus that doesn't look like the Jesus we thought we were following. And when that happens, we have a choice. We can either stick with our old idea of Jesus, which was incorrect and got, and got us lost, or we can allow an encounter with Jesus to change our understanding of who he is. Because Jesus doesn't change, but we do. When there comes a different time. That process of recognizing that the idea I had about Jesus led me away from Jesus and I need to go find the real Jesus again. That process is called growing in your faith. (laughs) Some people have used a different word for it recently called, they like to call it deconstruction. I don't really like that word. I think you just lost Jesus for a few minutes. Go back to Jerusalem and find him again and let him inform you of who he's been all along. Does that make sense? It was way better when Brian Zond preached it, but if you want, it, you should go find it. Brian Zond is the pastor, and he, the sermon is called Losing Jesus, and I cried like a two-year-old child when I first heard it, because Brian's a better preacher. Somebody, somebody said Brian Zond could preach the eyes out of a rattlesnake at 20 yards or something like that. But anyway, (laughs) I don't even know how that works, but, but, but I agree. (laughs) Uh, He is my favorite preacher in the world right now and has been for quite a few years. Anyway. All right. Well, that's it for us for today. Let's pray. We have about eight more minutes. If you have any questions or thoughts or. We'll pray, and then we can do that. Next week, I think we should talk about the Nephilim, Ross. Yes! <laughs> no, I'm serious. Oh. Let's do it. Divine counsel next week. Yes. All right? Okay. <laughs> first year, first year <laughs> just for you. ready for an eye-opener.
1: you <laughs> <laughs> already told me
0: everything. Uh, it'll, it's a fun conversation, anyway. All right, let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much. Lord, my request this morning for myself more than anybody else in this room is that you would give me the grace not to judge. That you would give me the grace not to be consumed by my own self righteousness. That you would give me the grace to recognize my double standards and to hold my favorite ideas really loosely. and to put my trust not in my ideas about who you are, but in you, the real you, the you that exists outside of my brain. Jesus, will you come and will you reveal yourself to us in ways that challenges our current understandings of who you are? Would you come by your Holy Spirit Awaken us to realities in you that we have not yet had the opportunity to think or see or taste or understand. I ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.